in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This chapter 21 from the Gospel of St. Matthew is an important chapter because uh, in this chapter we read about the entry to Jerusalem as a king. Uh, this entry which we celebrated on Palm Sunday, or more accurately, we call it Hosanna Sunday. And as I will explain, Hosanna means save us, salvation, the Sunday of salvation. Also in this chapter, we read about uh, cleansing the temple and also cursing the fig tree. And we will understand the significance of these acts. Also, at the end of the chapter, we will read about the conflict between the Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leaders. And just, I want to tell you that the only group that the Lord had conflict with was the religious leaders of Israel. Uh, this conflict, because of their arrogance, because of their pride, because of their vainglory, that's why they could not submit to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So there was a conflict between the Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leaders of Israel. This conflict was not initiated by him because he is the King of Peace. Actually, many times he tried to uh, make peace with them, but they rejected him. And uh, at the end, they crucified him. And as I usually say, it is easy to repent from any sin than to repent from the sin of pride and arrogance. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to lead adulterers, uh, thieves, murderers, uh, tax collectors, lovers of money. He was able to uh, bring all these people into repentance, but he could not bring the pride, the proud and the prideful people like the religious leader of Israel into repentance. In this chapter, it starts by the Lord uh, begin or began his last week, the week before his resurrection uh, and his crucifixion with his entry to Jerusalem as a king. We call it the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Uh, then the Lord cleansed the temple and he cursed the fig tree. After this, he, uh, the, 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 the religious leaders of Israel challenged his authority. Then in response to this, he told them uh, two parables. The parable of the two sons and the parable of the wicked fine dressers. So to, tonight we will cover his entry to Jerusalem, uh, cleansing the temple and cursing the fig tree. These are the three main uh, subjects that we'll cover tonight. Next time we will cover uh, how they challenged his authority and the two parables, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the wicked vine dressers. So let's start reading verse by verse from verse 1. Now when they drew 
near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Uh, the entry of our Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem uh, started from Bethania on the first day of the week, on Sunday. That's why we celebrate this on Sunday. Uh, the Lord actually, as we read in the Gospel of St. John, He was in Bethania after He raised Lazarus from the death they made a big feast for the Lord Jesus Christ on Saturday. So on Sunday morning, he started his entry to Jerusalem. So they came from Bethania toward Bethphage. Bethphage was a village for the priests because it was close to Jerusalem where the temple is. So the priests were dwelling there. And uh, many uh, dates trees and palm trees and fixed tree were in this city. So sometimes it's called uh, the house of figs and dates. Bet uh, fagi bet. Uh, you know Hebrew and Arabic are close to each other. So bet house bet bil Arabi. Fagi from the word fig which is tree, faggy fig. So it's the house of trees, or, uh, 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 sorry, a teen. Sorry. House of figs, or house of dates. There were palm trees uh, in this city. Um, and uh, these uh, trees were also uh, on the Mount Olive. This city, Betfagi, was one mile to the east of Jerusalem, one mile to the east of Jerusalem. And according to the Jewish law, people were allowed to travel on Sabbath only one mile, because Sabbath was the day of rest. So they were not allowed to travel more than one mile. So when you read in the scripture, a Sabbath day's journey means one mile. Sabbath day's journey means the distance that was allowed for the people to travel on the Sabbath day. So this was one uh, mile. And Mount Olives was also called because of the abundance of olive tree which grew upon it. So here we have three types of trees, palm trees, fig trees, and also olive trees. The Lord sent two disciples but none of the four evangelists mentioned to us their names some scholars said probably they were Peter and John because on uh, uh, covenant Thursday 
the Lord sent Peter and John to prepare for the uh, Passover. Uh, as we read in Luke chapter 28, 22 verse 8. That's why probably these two disciples were Peter and John. Uh, let's read verse 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a called the fall of a donkey. As you know, St. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah, to convince them that Jesus is the promised king who will save Israel. That's why Usually he refers and quotes many prophecies from the Old Testament. So in verse 5, St. Matthew reveals that when the Lord sent these two disciples to bring him the donkey and the colt, it was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the restoration of Israel by the Messiah. And this prophecy mentioned in verse 5, we can read it in Isaiah 62 verse 11 and in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. And if you study the gospel of St. Matthew from the beginning, actually this prophecy is number 9. So it is the ninth of the fulfillment statement in the gospel of St. Matthew. If you count how many times from Matthew chapter 1 until chapter 21, how many times St. Matthew quote verses from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, this prophecy is number nine. Donkeys and mules were common used in Palestine. Horses were seldom to be met with in, in Palestine. Uh, when Matthew, sorry, when the two disciples went to the owner of the donkey and the colt to ask him if, uh, that he may send the two animals with them. Actually, they were asking not to get a permission or to hire the donkey and the colt, but rather to claim the right to use the beasts for the service of the king. That's why uh, St. Matthew immediately in verse 4 and 5 he said tell the daughters of Zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt is a fool of a donkey so here again the Lord was not asking permission but as the king of Israel he was claiming his right to use these two animals uh, to enter Jerusalem and as I explain why he used the donkey and the colt, not, he did not use um, a horse. It's a sign of meekness, sign of humbleness, sign of peace. Usually if a king uh, rode uh, a horse, it's a sign of war. Nobody goes to the war riding on a donkey. But donkey is a symbol of peace. 
that's why the prophet the prophecy that he quote in verse 5 behold your king is coming to you lowly meek and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey our lord jesus christ he told them in advance what will happen he told them you will go to this person and you will ask him saying the lord has need of them and immediately he will send them so here we can see how the lord takes every opportunity to convince his disciples that nothing was hidden from him he knows the future he knows what will happen and he informed them even of the very small details the most uh, minute occurrence to manif- and manifested his power over uh, the heart of the owner of owner of the, the two animals by making him agreeing immediately to send the two animals with the two disciples so by saying he immediately will send them uh, number one, he shows them that nothing is hidden from him and number two, he demonstrated his power over the heart of the owner to permit the donkeys uh, to be taken away to, for the service of the lord um, and i want you to notice in verse 5 uh, it is written behold your king uh, here actually means he is the king of kings he is the king not only a king but he is the king he is the king of the humans and also he is the king of the animals he is the king of every creatures um uh, so the lord here discloses two of his attributes his omniscience that he knows everything and also his supreme dominion even over the heart of the owner by permitting the owner to give the donkeys to the two disciples uh st matthew in verse 4 and 5 he is making it clear that when the lord asked to ride on the donkey and the colt this was not done by accident or because he was tired or to avoid fatigue but actually to fulfill the prophecy about the messiah in isaiah and in zechariah and as the prophecy tells us now he is coming to jerusalem meek full of kindness lowly full of compassion even to those who are plotting his destruction even to those who are planning his crucifixion can you imagine he entered in a peaceful way and delivers himself to the hand of those who will crucify him so as if the prophecy is telling us that he came to jerusalem to deliver up himself into the hands of his enemies uh, their king comes to be murdered by his creatures and to make 
his death a ransom and redemption for their souls as he prayed on the cross father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing so we can say what why we call it the triumphal entry into jerusalem maybe people perceive this entry that ended by his crucifixion on friday but again on sunday he rose from the dead maybe some people perceive it that he died at the end on friday but it is a victory of humility over pride it is a victory of poverty over riches it is victory of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice that's why we call it the triumphal entry into jerusalem verse 6 so the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them the disciples followed the instructions of the lord and brought the donkey and the colt if you read in san mark and san luke about hosanna sunday you can find that both san mark and san luke give more graphically an account of their finding the colt how they questioned the owner and how the owner asked them and how they replied to him by saying the lord has need of them but saint matthew did not mention all these details verse 7 they brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them and set him on them they laid their garment on both animals and the fact that the colt was with its mother uh, the donkey uh, means this colt nobody uh, has used this colt before so the colt had never been ridden so it befits the king of kings and the lord of the lords to ride a colt that was never used before so the question here did he use both of them uh, many scholars they said yes he used both of them maybe he used the donkey for a short time then he used the colt or because it was mountain so in the difficult roads he used the donkey but on the uh, easy roads he used the colt and this actually revealed the compassion of our lord jesus christ even on the animals he used both of them so the colt because it's young that's why he used it in easy and well paved roads but he used the donkey uh, the mother in difficult uh, roads or unpaved roads um, because in verse 7 it's written set him on them so he used both of them maybe some of us will ask why our lord jesus christ asked for a donkey and a colt actually we never read before this uh, the lord jesus christ was very humble uh, and through humility 
had traveled all his life on foot. Uh, we never read uh, on previous instance that he allowed himself the convenience of riding. Uh, so why on this occasion he rode on, a, on two, do- uh, two animals, the donkey and a colt? One reason is to fulfill the prophecy, to tell them, I am the Messiah. I am the one about whom Isaiah and Zechariah prophesied. Also, other reasons to give a slight example of his real kingly dignity. Before, actually, he took the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration and he transfigured before them, revealed part of his glory to them. Now he is actually uh, demonstrating his dignity as a king. So when the disciples see him on Friday crucified, they will, will not doubt him. To confirm the faith of his disciples and also to leave his enemies no excuse for their disbelief. As if he is telling them, if you read very well the prophecies, you will know that I am the Messiah. St. John Chrysostom in his homily about this uh, chapter, he challenged, he is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ challenged the Jews to show him any other king of theirs who entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. As I told you, all the kings used to ride horses. He is the only one who rode actually a donkey because he is the king of peace. But uh, if you ride a horse, this means a symbol of war. But the Lord entered Jerusalem not to start a war, but to make peace on the cross by offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So, the Lord had many crowd, many people around him. Part of the crowd came from Galilee. Another part came from Bethany uh, after they saw the, uh, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. So, being excited from the recent resurrection of Lazarus, they accompanied the Lord Jesus Christ from Bethany. They spread their clothes on the road. Again, they knew that he is the king. They knew that he is the Messiah. So he was recognized by them. And and this act of spreading the garment on the road as homage to a king. Cut down branches from the trees. St. John actually in his gospel explained to us These were branches of palm trees. As I told you, this area had palm trees, fig trees, and olive trees. Uh, So, and as you know, the the leaves of the palm tree, uh, when you spread it, uh, actually uh, can be like uh, a soft leveled carpet. So they took these branches 
spread it on the road to make like, you know, a carpet uh, for the king uh, during his entry to Jerusalem. Uh, and also it was mentioned that they also carried olive tree, uh, olive branches. As you know, the branches of olives symbolizes peace. You remember in the uh, ark of Noah, when he sent the dove, the dove returned with a branch of olive tree. So palm tree, palm branches and uh, olive branches symbolizes peace here. Verse 9, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out. So the Lord was in the middle. There was crowd in front of him and crowd behind him. So those who were in front and those who followed were crying as if they are making two choirs. Like, you know, how the deacons here on the north side and on the uh, south side, they actually exchange uh, responses. So the people who were in front of him and people who followed him, they were exchanging these responses. Uh, cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, uh, this was acclamation of the Jews. Uh, if you address God by this word, if you say Hosanna to God and you address God, it means I beseech you, save us. I beseech you, save us. So Hosanna means salvation. And actually I prefer to use Hosanna Sunday more than Palm Sunday. Even in Arabic, بنسميه أحد الشعانين. كلمة شعانين كلمة هوشعنا خلصنا. فالتسمية الدقيقة أحد الشعانين يمكن أحد الزعف ديًا التسمية بتاعت الناس يعني لكن التسمية الليتورجيكال نيم اوف ذيس داي از هوزانا ساندي او بالعربي احد الشعانين احد الخلاص بيكوز ذيس از ذا بيجينينج اوف ذا جيرني اوف سالفيشن هي انتر جيروسالين تو فولفيل اور سالفيشن اون ذا كروس سو اف وي ادريس جاد باي ذا وورد هوزانا مينز God, Lord, I beseech you to save me. But if you apply the word Hosanna to a prince or a king, means uh, long live uh, the king. So as if we are asking God to preserve the life of this king for a long time. So if you address God with the word Hosanna, means God, I beseech you to save me. If you say Hosanna, and you address a king or a prince, means you are asking God to save this king, to grant him long life. So, some understand that the word Hosanna was directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, if we direct it to the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be addressed to him as God, because he is God. God in the flesh. So as if they were saying, Save us, son of David. Save us, O son of David. And St. Matthew here, he is emphasizing on the word son of David. Because according to the Jewish tradition, 
the Messiah will be son of David. So when in the Jewish tradition we say the son of David, we mean here the Messiah. So when they said Hosanna to the son of David, or save us, O son of David, means save us, O Messiah. As directed to God. But people actually uh, who did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is just a prophet. So when they said Hosanna to the son of David, they meant, save O God, this our king. This our prophet. So it can be understood both ways. Either people who believed that he is the Messiah, so he, they addressing Jesus, save us, O son of David, or other people just believed he is a prophet, one of the prophets. So they are asking God to save the life of Jesus, their king or the prophet. Uh, by which save this king means uh, we wish peace, safety, prosperity to Jesus the King. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These words were taken from Psalm 118, verse 25 and verse 26. And they used to chant the great Alleluia at the end of the Paschal Supper, uh, which they used to celebrate during the Passover, and also in the Feast of Tabernacles. And during these two feasts, they used to chant the great Alleluia, and also uh, they used this word from Psalm 118, uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And traditionally, the people knew that this song is applied to the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest means save us from your high place. Verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? The word moved, uh, moved. So, we can see there is a strength for this word, moved. Uh, which conveys actually the tremendous excitement with which Jesus was greeted by the pilgrimage who came to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem and also all the citizens uh, of Jerusalem. The, this scene, the sight of such a multitude and the shouts of the people crying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to son in David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the triumphant procession through the city excited much attention and inquiry. Who is this? 
Who is this man to whom you are shouting and this great procession uh, toward uh, Jerusalem? And can, you, you can imagine the Mount of Olives is 200 feet higher than the temple. So people who are in the temple in Jerusalem, they, they saw the procession coming from the Mount of Olives. So all the people at the temple and all the people in Jerusalem, they were able to see the procession coming down from the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. Uh, so all Jerusalem, that's why the whole city was moved by the procession and started to ask, who is this? And we can imagine the city appeared here in all its splendor uh, because it was the feast of Passover. And during the feast, uh, any feast of the Jews, all the Israelites, all the Jewish people came to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem. So you can imagine this city uh, filled with people celebrating the feast of Passover. But we read in the Gospel of St. Luke uh, that in the midst of all this joy, all this splendor, we, we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ was weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping because uh, it's coming sorrows. The Lord foresees its destruction, how it will be destroyed as it happened in year 70 AD uh, at the hands of Titus, the Roman uh, soldier. So in the midst of these acclamations, that Christ wept and foretold the destruction of the city. But the people were asking, who is this? Who is this? Verse 11, the answer, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowds that followed Jesus to Jerusalem recognized him as the prophet as the prophet. And maybe some of them recognized him just as a regular prophet, like Elijah, like Jeremiah, like Daniel, just a prophet. Uh, and this most probably was the answer of the simple people. But some of them, when they said he is the prophet, they were referring to the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, as we read, I will raise up for them a prophet. That's about the Messiah, about Jesus. Like you from among their kinsmen, and will put my words into his mouth. He shall tell them all that I command him. This prophecy is about the Messiah. And Jesus actually is the prophet with capital P is the prophet. What do I mean by he is the prophet? As we read in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, St. Paul says, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in the latter days, he spoke to us through Jesus. What is the function of the prophet? The prophet delivers message from God the Father to us. So, in the Old Testament, 
God used Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all these prophets to deliver message to the people. But in the New Testament, God actually sent his message through his son, through Jesus. That's why we can call Jesus the prophet with capital P. As also we read in the Gospel of St. John, no one has seen the Father, but the only begotten Son who is in the bottom of, bosom of the Father foretold us about Him or revealed to Him to us. So the Son revealed to us the Father. By revealing to us the Father, this is the function of the prophet. So when the people said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee, the simple people meant he's just a prophet, like any prophet from the Old Testament. But the inspired people meant he is the Messiah. He is a prophet about whom Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. Verse 12, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Actually, many people ask, when the cleansing of the temple happened, did it happen on Sunday or did it happen on Monday? Actually, St. Mark in his Gospel Mark chapter 11, verse 11, explains to us that on Sunday, after the triumphal entry, Jesus entered the temple, looked around, and perhaps to note the abuse that happened in the temple. And he did nothing on Sunday. Then he returned back to Bethany and spent the night in Bethany. Then the next day in the morning, on, on Monday morning, he returned again and entered the temple and did the cleansing uh, that's recorded here. St. Matthew did not explain these details. So when you read St. Matthew as if this happened on Sunday evening, but actually it happened on Monday morning, not on Sunday evening as St. Mark make it clear. This time the Lord entered the temple not as a worshiper, but as the Lord of the temple, as God, to cleanse the temple. Why there were merchants in the temple? Actually, they were selling doves and the sacrifices. Doves were uh, the sacrifices of the poor. As you read in the book of Leviticus, if you cannot afford to offer a lamb or a cow for a sacrifice, then if, if I am a poor person, then I will offer dove. Because doves are cheaper than offering a lamb or cow. Uh, and last Tuesday, we celebrated the feast of presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ to the temple. And as you remember, St. Mary offered what? Doves, because she was poor. She could not afford to offer lamb. 
so the merchants were selling doves that were the sacrifices of the poor. And as I told you, in the feast, the Jews came to the temple from all parts of Judea. Because in the Old Testament, it was prohibited to worship outside Jerusalem. You cannot worship outside Jerusalem. If you want to worship, you need to go to Jerusalem and worship there. And because some came from a distance, they could not bring with them their sacrifices. That's why they used to purchase it from the temple. Also, we read here about money changers. As you know, some coins bore pagan images or images of the Roman emperor. And it was an offense to use this money that has pagan, pagan images or images of the Roman emperors. It was profane. It was offense to use it in the temple. That's why there was a special coin or a special money for the temple. So the people used to exchange their money with the Jewish uh, coinage that bore no forbidden images. So the money exchanger, they used to change the money that has uh, pagan images or images for Roman emperors with the coins of the temple uh, that did not have any forbidden images. So the Lord actually drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold the doves. And he made it very clear in verse 13. And he said to them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. House of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here actually is the Lord, when he entered the temple, he was fulfilling the prophecy in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. We read in Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner fire, refiner's fire, and like a launderer's soap. So Malachi prophesied that the Lord will come and enter his temple. And who can endure his coming? Because when he comes, he will come to purify, to cleanse, like the fire of the refiner, like the soap of the launderer. And the Lord told him very clearly, my house is a house of prayer. (laughs) 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Uh, actually, the prophecy says, My house shall be called a house of prayer to all nations, including the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, the temple was not called house of prayer, but was called a house of sacrifice. You can read it when God appeared to Solomon in the day of the consecration of the temple. God appeared to Solomon and told him, uh, and I will call this house a house of sacrifice. But in the New Testament, the church is called house of prayer, not house of sacrifice. Why? If you remember, when you enter the temple of the Old Testament, the first thing you meet when you enter is the altar of sacrifices. Then, after you enter into the holy place, you will find the altar of incense. Altar of incense represents prayer, but the altar of sacrifices represents offering animals and sacrifices or on behalf of the worshiper. Which means you cannot reach the altar of incense without a sacrifice. You have to offer a sacrifice first and then you can offer your prayer. Right? But in the New Testament, we don't have to offer a sacrifice first. Because our Lord Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice once for all. So, in the New Testament, the church is called the house of prayer, not anymore a house of sacrifice. And also, it is called house of prayer for all nations, not only for the Jews. In the temple of the Old Testament, there was outside court. This court was called the court of the Gentiles. So, the Gentiles were not allowed to enter into the complex of the temple. But they kept the Gentiles, the non-believers, outside. Only the Jews were allowed to enter, but all the Gentiles were kept outside. Uh, so even those who come to pray and to give their sacrifices, the priest would take their sacrifices from them in the outer court and take it to uh, the altar. So, the non-Jewish people, the non-covenant members were forbidden to enter the other areas of the temple uh, or to approach uh, the altar because this was considered profane or offense. But thanks be to God that in the New Testament, God is God for all the people, from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. Uh, all people are invited to be the people of God. All people are invited to dwell in his house, the house of prayers. All people are accepted if they followed the Lord Jesus Christ, not only one nation and not only uh, a certain uh, group of people. So when the Lord said, uh, my house is house of prayer to all nations, he is speaking about the house of the New Testament because it's a house of prayer not a house of sacrifice and also 
for all nations. Bayt Bayt al-Salah li-jami'a al-Umam. Li-jami'a al-Umam. And here I want to stop and make a very important comment here. These people were selling and buying sacrifices to be used at the temple. And the money exchangers, they were exchanging pagan money with uh, temple money. So actually, we can even justify what they were doing. Because what they were doing is part of the worship. If I want to, to bring a sacrifice, and I'm coming from long distance, how can I bring my sacrifice with me? So I come to the temple and uh, buy the sacrifice. But the Lord could not endure this. Because this house is built for the people only to worship God. And God actually, if he did not endure to see the, the temple of the Old Testament to be used for buying and selling and to be used uh, for money exchangers, how much more the Lord will not endure for the church of the New Testament to be used for such activities. And it is very sad that many of our churches right now are using their churches to buy and sell. Many churches, they open grocery in the churches and people go and buy uh, from this grocery uh, to the, uh, in the church. Many churches turn it, the church into restaurant. People buy food and order food. Even the Lord, when he offered the agape meal on, on feeding the multitude, as you will hear in the gospel of tomorrow, he did not buy and sell for the people. He offered them its agape meal. He offered them the, the meal for free. So all these activities are done under the name of fundraising. The only fundraising that's accepted in the church is donation and contribution. But money, buying and selling in the church, having grocery stores in the church, doing activity like buying food and selling food is not accepted. If you want to buy and sell, open a grocery store. If you want to buy and sell food, open a restaurant. If you are coming, we need to name things by its real name. If we call it a church, then it should be a house of prayer. But if you want to buy and sell in the church, then we need to change its name from a church into a restaurant or grocery store. We cannot call it a church. And I want you to understand this, because many people under... The, the, the notion of we want to make money for the church or to raise funds for the church, they push for buying and selling in the church. But the Lord actually cleanses the, te the temple twice. The first time in the beginning of his ministry, as you read it in the Gospel of St. John, uh, uh, chapter uh, 2, and the second time you read it here uh, on Pascha uh, uh, Monday, the next day or the following day of his entry to Jerusalem. And the first time he said, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. You cannot justify it. I know many churches try to justify what they were doing. But there is no justification because the, the verse is very clear. 
And the Lord repeated more than one time. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. My house is called a house of prayer. Not a house of merchandise. Not a house of buying and selling. And if, if you really want to honor God. You need to honor God by respecting his command. By saying my house is a house of prayer. And those who are violating this uh, rule. Actually the Lord told them. You have made it a den of thieves. You have made it a den of thieves. Saint Jerome, in his commentary on the Gospel of Saint John, admires what the Lord did when he cleansed the temple as the greatest of Christ's miracles. Why? He said that a poor man like the Lord Jesus Christ, he was able to cast the buyers and sellers out of the temple, to overturn their stalls, their money tables, and the seats of those who were selling doves without any opposition. He was able to do, to do this because he is the Lord of the temple. He is the King of Kings. This verse, my house shall be called the house of prayer, it is taken from Isaiah chapter 56, Verse 7. And as I explained, it speaks of the Gentiles also coming to the house of, of God. The second part of the verse, but you have made it a ten, den of thieves, this part is taken from Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11. When the Lord, during the time of Jeremiah, condemned the priesthood and the people prior to the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians, during the captivity of Babylonians, because they turned the house of God into den of thieves. They turned the house of God into den of thieves by not respecting the, the temple to be a house of prayer. And actually, they allowed other activities not um, honoring God in this house. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Here our Lord Jesus Christ gives another sign how he fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 35 verse 5 and 6, he referred to the Messiah healing the lame and curing the blind. And here actually we read in verse 14, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So, here the Lord actually, after he condemned the profane use of the temple, how the religious leaders of Israel, actually they uh, violated the law of God, and they profaned the temple by changing it into a house of merchandise, now he demonstrates to them the proper use of it. It's a house of prayer where God actually is to manifest his goodness and his power in giving sight to those who are spiritually blind and feed to those who are spiritually lame. So he's saying when people come to the church praying and asking God, he will heal their spiritual blindness and uh, their spiritual uh, paralysis.
15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Indignant means they were angry. They were displeased. They were displeased not only because of the authority that he demonstrated in the temple by cleansing the temple, but also they were displeased because of the acclamations of approval, the cries of the multitudes, and the cries of the children, and the evident favor of the people toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So the purification of the profane temple was supposed to be done by them. It is their rule, uh, sorry, it is their rule to cleanse the temple. But instead of cleansing the temple now, they are indignant and angry because the children were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. So we can see here how the chief priests and the scribes, when they saw the miracles done by the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were, they were blinded by their jealousy and pride. They could not see that he is the Messiah. They were blinded by their jealousy. And we can see here, the innocent children can see in Jesus the Messiah by saying, by saying Hosanna to the son of David. But the religious leader of Israel, they are blind. They cannot see that he is the Messiah. That's why they demanded the Lord Jesus Christ to stop the children. As we read in verse 16, and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? This shouting of children was therefore not strange in the land of Judea. Why? Because it was a common practice among the Jews that the children are employed in public acclamations. So when there's public acclamations, they used to gather the children and to ask them to shout with them. So this shouting was not strange in the land of Israel. So they were angry, not because the children were crying, but they were angry because of their hatred and jealousy against the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord told them, you are the religious leaders of Israel. Don't you know the scripture? Don't you know that it is written in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, Psalm 8, verse 2, that out uh, of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? Verse 17, then he left them and went out to the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Every night the Lord during the week from Sunday until uh, Wednesday, he spent the night in, in, in Bethany. So uh, Bethany was a village about two miles distant from Jerusalem by the Mount Olives, as we read in John chapter 11 verse 18. And uh, it is remarkable that the Lord Jesus Christ from 
Hosanna Sunday till uh, Thursday uh, on which he was arrested and uh, he did not go to Bethany. So uh, he spent not one night in Jerusalem, but every evening he went to Bethany and returning to the city each morning. Um, so uh, he spent the night there until Thursday uh, at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And as we read in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, the 12 apostles also accompanied him. So he did not go by himself, but also with the 12 apostles. Verse 18, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Uh, verse 19, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. In this passage, Jesus performs another symbolic act. It's a symbol. Cursing the fig tree, it is a symbolic act. By cursing the fruitless fig tree. Uh, in the Gospel of St. Mark, St. Mark makes it very clear that it was not even the season for figs. Why Mark mentions this? To, to, to tell us, so cursing the fig tree has a meaning. It's a symbol. It has a meaning. And if we follow the fig tree in the scripture, we can find that the fig tree is the only fruit bearing tree that was named in the Garden of Eden. As we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Also, the fruitful fig tree was a sign of the good things promised by the covenant to the covenant people in the promised land, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8. So it was a sign of blessing. To have fruitful fig tree, it was a sign of blessing from God. Also, another reference to the fig tree, we read it in Proverbs chapter 27. Verse 18, whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So if you wait for the fig tree, you will eat its fruit. In the same way, he who waits on his master, the Lord will be honored. Also the prophet Jeremiah compared Israel under the curse of the divine judgment to the fruitless fig tree. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 13. That's why I told you it is symbolic. The fruitless fig tree symbolizes the cursed uh, uh, Israel under the divine judgment. Under the divine judgment. Uh, also, in St. Luke Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, told his disciples a parable about the fig tree that fig tree was planted in a vineyard and failed to produce fruit. The owner of the vineyard complained to the vine dressers that for three years the tree had failed to produce fruit and told the vine dresser to cut it down. So the three years are the three years of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ to Israel. And as the Lord ministered to Israel for three years, but he came to his own and his own did not accept him. 
the vine dresser urged the owner to leave it for just a little while longer so he could fertilize it. And if it still failed to bear fruit, then he could cut it down. And we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ spent at least three years calling the covenant people, calling the Jewish people, Israel, to bear good fruit of repentance and to recognize him as the promised Messiah. But they failed to bear good fruit and there was no more time. So, here cursing the fig tree means the end of the Jewish worship, means the end of the temple, means the end of the sacrifices, means the end of Aaron priesthood. That is the end of it. And the hunger of the Lord Jesus Christ, we read that he was hungry. The hunger here was a figure of his extreme desire to find good fruit in the nation of Israel. He was hungry for their salvation. He was hungry to find good fruit, in, uh, good works in their life. And the Lord actually is hungry until today that all of us, the servant of God, to bring forth good works in our life. So we can say cursing the fig tree is a prophetic sign of judgment against unfaithful generation led by failed shepherds, the religious leaders of Israel. So here the cursing of fig tree is just a symbol. How this nation, Israel, because they failed to recognize him as the promised Messiah, because their leader, the shepherds of Israel, also failed to lead them in the right way. So this is the judgment of Israel. Actually, Christ had often exercised his power to do good. Maybe that is the first time we see him his ability to punish. So, the Lord wants to testify to the apostles and to the Jews himself that with one word he can make those who crucified him to wither away. So, after six days when he endures the suffering and the crucifixion, not because he is unable to curse them or to punish them, but because he willingly accepted the sufferings of the cross uh, for our salvation, as St. John Chrysostom explained in his homily. So, we read after this in verse 20, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So, why they were marveled? Not because they understood the symbolic meaning of cursing the fig tree, but they were marveled because of the power and wonder of the act, how the fig tree was withered away immediately. So the miracle was to them an act of power and wonder, rather a sign, rather than a symbol. Uh, but here, how the Lord replied to their question. They asked him, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? Here is the Lord's reply. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith 
and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So the Lord did not reply and tell them, it's my power, it's my divine power, I am God, I can curse the fig tree and it will wither away. No, he did not ask, it did not reply this way. But he promised them that they can do and they can perform similar wonders and even greater wonders as we read in John chapter 14 verse 12. If they have unwavering faith in him, if they believe in him, a faith which would likewise secure a favorable answer to all their prayer. When we have faith, God actually will answer all our prayer. So, the Lord is telling them, he that has faith will get through every difficulty and every perplexity as if he is moving mountain, as if the difficulty in the way will be smooth like uh, plains before him. When we participate in the, in the life of Jesus, when we abide in him and he abides in us, we also participate in his divine power because we are branches in, in him, the vine. And by abiding in him, he will be the guarantee that our prayers, when it is in harmony with the will of God, it will be accepted. And actually, in prayer, we, we ask God with faith, it will actually be accepted, will be answered, and will be heard. We should not remove, uh, we should not understand removing the mountain in a literal way. But removing mountain means removing any obstacles, any difficulty in, in our way. So we need to understand this, uh, not literally, although in the history, I'm sure all of you know the story of removing the mountain, Al-Mu'attam, in Egypt. But we should understand this verse symbolically, not literally. So the saying is neither to be taken in its literal sense, nor is it uh, hyperbolical. It is a proverb. It's a proverb of speech, uh, which no, Jew, no Jews would misunderstand. And also, we as Christians, we should not actually be confused by understanding this uh, in a literal way. This actually... Uh, conclude uh, verse 22 and as I told you we'll finish at verse 22 because it is a long chapter glory be to God forever and ever Amen